Uh, we're going to hear from Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 31 to 39, and Lynn's going to read that to us. Romans chapter 8, which is on page 1042 of the Bibles. Beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you can turn to page 62, Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The waters heaped up at the blast of your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You will lead the people. You have redeemed with your faithful love. 
you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. When the peoples hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. The inhabitants of Canaan will panic, and terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with their tambourines and danced. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. God. Thanks very much, Scott and Lynn. Uh, hi, I'm Dan. If I haven't met you before, it's my uh, privilege to preach this evening. Uh, as, as we continue on in our series in Exodus, we come to this, the first song in the Bible, this song of Moses. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, thank you uh, so much that you speak to us in your word. Uh, we do pray, please, that you'd help us to be attentive to your voice. Please help us to think carefully about what you've said. Uh, Father, I do pray uh, as my brain wants to go on holidays that you'd help me to focus, um, to speak clearly and to know the significance of, uh, of getting into your word and what that means, hearing your voice speak. Um, we do pray that this time would, uh, you'd, would be used by you to give us a real desire uh, to live for your praise and glory. Amen. Uh, there's something quite uh, mysterious about music, isn't there? We don't really know how it does what it does, but it does something to us. Uh, Plato once said, music is a moral law. I'm not really sure what he means, but it sounds very clever. Um, he goes on to say that, and I think I get this bit. He says, uh, music gives soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and charm and gaiety to life and to everything. It's true. Now, Martin Luther said, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It is really wonderful, isn't it, to be able to just stand and sing together. Uh, and that's what we hear of Israel doing together in, in Exodus 15. Um, they think about their salvation that's just happened, and they then just lose themselves in song. Ch check it out in, in just verse 1 there. Um, they say with such uh, confidence, I will sing to the Lord. And in verse 2, the, the second half there, this is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God and I will exalt him. You see, they're not really being forced to sing, are they? It's not like some primary school choir. They're just captivated by what God has done for them and gripped by it. And they just give themselves in song. Because saved people sing. It's just what they do. 
That's actually what I really want to try and push tonight, that one line, saved people sing. And that's going to be uh, our first point, actually. Uh, saved Israel sings. Now, if you trust in Jesus, uh, you're a saved person as well. Um, and for some of us, uh, we respond by singing. We sing all the time. We love to sing. Others of us want to slap people like that. You know what I mean? Stop being so happy. We are saved. So how do we become people who are more ready to sing? I know, I know some of us aren't real singers. We don't really like to sing. That's okay. Uh, the question perhaps is, how do we have hearts that sing? Hearts that just are given to praise and thanksgiving. And I think the answer is we need to look intently to Jesus. And so that's going to be the second point. Saved people sing as they look to Jesus. Well, let's start at the beginning. Let's uh, look at this first point. Saved Israel sings. Um, we're going to set the scene uh, for, for Exodus 15. Um, Moses and, uh, and Israel are by the side of the Red Sea. Um, it's quiet. There's a couple of waves kind of lapping at the shore. But they have just beheld the most astonishing rescue. Just a few days ago, they were slaves in Egypt. They thought they'd never escape. And then all of a sudden, God came and rescued them. He brought them out to himself. And just when they could kind of almost smell the freedom, double-minded Egypt changed their mind and chased them down with their chariots. And they've kind of cornered them by the Red Sea. And hear what happens next. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 10. From verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see. The Lord's salvation he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Uh, So Moses did, uh, and Israel passed through. But the Egyptian army started to follow them. Um, And so once all Israel had passed through, uh, God said this to Moses in verse 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. And so the rushing and the shouting and the anger and the fear of just a few minutes ago 
was gone. And the enemy that had swooped down to take Israel was no more. And so there they were, standing on the edge of the Red Sea. It was quiet. The waves were lapping at the shore. Israel almost didn't know what to do with themselves. I mean, they'd never been free before. But there was one obvious thing to do. Um, Moses steps forward and just breaks into song. And all Israel joins him. Let's follow it along. In verse 1, he says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. How do we know that? Well, he's thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. And that wasn't some impressive party trick God did over there. This is personal. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Do you see? Saved people sing. Just try to stop them. Uh, Now, very often in the Bible, when people want to praise God or thank him, they actually just recount to him the great things he's done. That's how they do it. Um, And that's what Israel does here uh, from verses 4 to 10. Look at at verse 4 with me. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers, the very best, were drowned in the Red Sea. And verse 9. The enemy, quite proudly, said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. You hear the pride, their intention? They're going to devour the Israelites. But, verse 10, you just blew with your breath. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Oh, really, Egypt, you you want to pursue and destroy my people, do you? You You're going to pursue them? Really? It's that easy. And they sink like a rock, like, like lead, never to resurface again. It's just so easy for Yahweh. And so Israel says in verse 6, Lord, Your right hand is glorious in power. Your your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. Can you hear them? They're just just captivated by this rescue. Uh, And of course, after recounting the rescue, that naturally gives way to praising the rescuer. So in verse 11... Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? Who is like you? And then the song uh, turns from recounting God's rescue to thinking about the future. Excuse me. They turn from the Red Sea to the wilderness, 
Uh, you see, across the wilderness is where the promised land is. That's kind of where they're heading. And as they turn to think about that, they do so with absolute confidence. Check out verse 13. You will lead the people you've redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength that is confident in the Lord's strong and loving leadership. He's, he's going to guide them back to his dwelling to be with him. And verse 14 to 16, if anyone tries to get in the way of that, well, that's not going to be a problem at all for Yahweh. And the picture continues in verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you've prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. Uh, it's a beautiful picture. God's going to plant them firm and secure on his mountain where he dwells, and they'll be with him. And verse 18 wraps this whole thing up by just saying, how will this ever end? Verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. See, this is the work of, of Yahweh, the warrior king. And as his people think about uh, the, re the way he's rescued them uh, and, and the confidence they can have about the future, well, they just they can't but sing. So they say, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. This, the Lord is my God, and I will praise him. Just try to stop me. And we see with absolute clarity from the Israelites and Moses that saved people sing. It's just what they do. I don't know about you, but I generally kind of like singing. Um, unfortunately, I'm not very good at it, um, but I like to do it. I'm not good at it, but the other problem is I'm quite self-conscious. And yet every now and then, um, and a few times while I was preparing this sermon, I find myself so um, just captivated by what Jesus has done for me that I don't really care that I can't sing in tune. I just, I go on Moses. I just kind of break out. I just want to sing. I don't really care who he is. Um, I kind of make up new lines and I sing unharmonious harmonies and just go for it. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience. But to be honest with you, um, the more common experience for me is I don't really want to sing. I walk in through those doors and I, I don't really even particularly want to stand up. Many of you may well know that experience. Life might just be getting to you. You don't really feel like rejoicing. Some of you might be going through that, uh, that barren wilderness of depression. And, and singing is the furthest thing from your mind. It might be that when you look up at that screen, you read the words and they just seem so unreal to you. You think, I couldn't, I couldn't sing that without faking it. It might be you just don't like the tune. What, whatever it is. The question I want to ask is, how can we be more like the Israelites? If we trust in Jesus, we, we are saved people like them. How are we going to sing and like, respond appropriately to our salvation? If we don't want to sing, well, how at least can we have hearts that sing with praise and thankfulness to God?
I think the answer is by looking to Jesus. So that's the second point. Saved people sing as they look to Jesus. I think that's only part of the answer. You know, it might just be because you're actually tired or you do have depression. But I think this is a big part of the answer, looking to Jesus. You know, you know the Israelites, when they saw the Egyptian chariots coming down on them, they stopped looking to their salvation. They just looked at themselves. And when they did that, there was no song in their hearts. There was just fear. But when God put his salvation front and center right in front of them where they couldn't ignore it, they couldn't but sing. And friends, it's the same for us. If we're going to sing, it's not going to come by looking at ourselves, but by looking to our salvation, Jesus. Some of you might respond by saying, well, Dan, you know what? I've looked to Jesus and I still don't feel like singing. And I certainly don't feel like losing myself in self-forgetful praise, singing out of tune in front of everyone. Um, fair, fair call, I, I don't really want to do that either. And you don't want me to do that right now. Um, I, I don't, I'm not trying to suggest that um, Moses and Israel were in some kind of zone uh, that we should all be in all the time, some spiritual nirvana where songs just cascade out of us. Not at all. Um, it's more like a spectrum. Sometimes we don't want to sing. Sometimes we do. How do we go that way a bit? That's what I'm asking. I think the answer is by looking intently at Jesus. For the gospel, our salvation, it is quite simple, yeah? Like, it's pretty simple to get. Jesus died for me. God loves me. Praise the Lord. But it's also a bit like the ocean, you know? It is shallow enough for a toddler to paddle in. But it's also deep enough for a submarine to explore. And friends, you and I need to go a bit deeper. Wherever you're at with Jesus, I want to encourage you to go deeper. To ask questions. To think through the gospel a bit more. To pray for depth. To read. Even to sing. Songs with good words help us look to Jesus. So... Colossians 3.16 tells us the word of Christ dwells richly among us as we sing together. What I want to do for the last uh, couple of minutes is, is to do just that, uh, to look intently at our rescuer, Jesus. Um, we're going to um, see that uh, as we look again at how our rescue is similar to the Exodus rescue. And I hope that as we do that, it'll take some of us a bit deeper. We're going to start in Egypt, uh, in slavery, where the Exodus story begins. Because without Jesus, people are uh, slaves. Slaves to sin, death, and Satan. Check out these um, kind of Bible pictures of us without Jesus. These are some of the pictures the Bible gives us. We are dominated subjects in Satan's kingdom, Ephesians 2. We are captives in a demonic strongman's house, Mark 3. We are whores besotted with terrible lovers, Ezekiel 16. We are sheep 
following bad shepherds, Ezekiel 34. We are thirsty beggars drinking from broken wells, Jeremiah 2. We are lost and must be found, Luke 15. We are snake-bitten and urgently need healing, John 3. We are starving and need bread, John 6. We are dead and need raising, John 5. We are helpless slaves to sin, John 8 and Exodus. Do you get a taste for that? We are, we are slaves without Jesus to sin and death and Satan. For friends, these, these are the invisible shackles around the wrists of our world. Do you see them? Can you feel them? We are slaves to the fear of death. That's why everyone is so desperate to look young. That's why we get our old people and put them in homes where we can't see them. And yet, the advertisements for those homes use the youngest-looking old people possible. Have you noticed that? Peculiar. Why? Because we're petrified of death and age. We try to ignore it, and yet it casts an unavoidable shadow over our lives. We are slaves to sin. I feel this as I kind of, whenever I kind of look away from Jesus, sin is right there beckoning me, and it is strong. And yet, following it is like going on a rat wheel. You know, it never actually delivers. We're all looking for this thing which is actually righteousness with God, but we think of it as, I don't know, some kind of rightness with the world, being okay with the universe. And we go looking for it in all sorts of places, uh, in health and experiences and relationships and money and power, whatever it is, and none of them deliver. Or they do for a little bit, but that's how they work, like an addiction. They give you a high so that you go back again. Another promotion, another overseas holiday a slightly fitter body, another relationship, but it just doesn't deliver. It's like a rat wheel. Do you feel that? Do you see it in people around you? It's slavery. And here's the kicker. The Bible says without Jesus, that's all we can do. We are slaves in all this to Satan. He's the one who tells us lies about God, and we don't know anything better. When we sin, he accuses us before God, and we don't have a leg to stand on. And in all these things, he holds over us the fear of death, and we can do nothing about it. Friends, without Jesus, we are slaves. This is what Martin Luther says, we are beasts ridden either by God or by Satan. It's pretty stark. We are just like Israel in Egypt, helpless slaves. Well, into that dark place, just like in Exodus, marches a warrior. For God sees us in our slavery. And he sends his son, Jesus. And you've read of what happens in the Gospels. When Jesus comes into this world of slavery, he starts tossing the demons out, doesn't he? And can the demons resist him? Not on your life. One word from him, out. And they flee away. 
with the greatest of ease like we read about in, in Exodus 15. And that's just a picture of what he's doing in the whole world, casting evil out. And he does it most completely at the cross and in his resurrection. Uh, so Satan actually uh, kind of uh, enters Judas and works in him to get Jesus killed. The devil may well have been thinking something along the lines of verse 9. I will pursue, I will overtake I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at his expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy him. And as they strung Jesus up on the cross, he may well have thought that he's had his victory. But, verse 10, remember? With the greatest of ease, God the Father raises his son from death brings him to the place of glory where he is beyond the reach of Satan. And in, in, in that act, in his death and resurrection, Jesus snatches the weapons out of Satan's hands. He snatches the weapon of accusation out of Satan's hands. And he can no longer accuse us because of Jesus' blood-bought forgiveness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he snatches the weapon of the fear of death. For if we're in Jesus, we know we will rise. And we will rise to be greeted with a smile and embrace. So that death is no longer the full stop, but a comma. And then he snatches away the weapon of lies because Jesus reveals the truth about God. That he is good and that he loves you. There is no questions. And in all these ways, our rat wheel suddenly disappears. No longer do we need to chase desperately after righteousness because we have it. It's given to us by Jesus, and we can't lose it. And Jesus promises to stick with us, to lovingly and strongly guide us till we're safely at his dwelling with him. Friends, I hope you see that just like at the Red Sea, our enemies are trounced. There's no sign of them. None of your sin will be remembered. Death has become a mere curtain for you. Satan has lost his grip on you. All the weapons of Satan lie smashed at the foot of the cross. And this warrior God promises to return again to judge evil once for all. He will not let it keep having its way with our world, with his world. And in response to that, I find myself, and I hope you find yourself, able to sing the words that Moses and Israel sung. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown sin, death, Satan and all that stood opposed to me, he is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. This is the church's God. And I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Jesus is his name. Friends, if you want to sing, if you want to have a heart that 
sings with praise, look to Jesus intently. Well, in just a moment, we're going to do that. We're going to sing, and I'm going to invite the band to actually come up now. Um, But as they do, I want to conclude with a few final comments. Um, I've been more or less assuming that uh, we all like singing. Is that true? Not really. Um, For those of you who trust in Jesus, um, I'm sorry to say this, but there will be singing. Uh, It is involved, uh, whether you like it or not. You might not have been told that when you signed up, but singing is going to be involved. Um, This is a real encouragement to me, um, and I hope it, it will be to you, especially if you're going through a dry place. Because sometimes I... I want to sing, or at least I want to want to sing, but I don't. I want to sing with kind of reckless abandon, but I kind of am held back. And yet the Bible tells me that it's going to happen. In Revelation 14, we read about how in the new creation, we'll each be given a new song. And as we sing it together, the sound will be like cascading water like Niagara Falls. It'll be like the rumbling of loud thunder. Because as we stand by the side of the crystal sea, and as we see that our enemy is entirely vanquished, then our salvation will be crystal clear to us. We'll see Jesus at a whole new depth. And then... It will be absolutely true, whether you like singing or not. Saved people will sing. Until that day, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus, dig into him. Um, He will loosen the chains of sin, and he will loosen your tongue to sing.